friends, welcome to the second ep of Pair Review Club. This episode we're dedicating to Chinese New Year. So, San Nin Ho, Vicky. San Nin Ho, Kai. And Jack. Happy Lunar New Year, y'all. Sorry, I don't speak any Chinese. Now nah, we'll brush up on your Chinese after this episode. All good, mate. Thank you, thank you. So, why don't we just start by asking what zodiac sign you guys are? So, Vicky, what's your zodiac? Um, I'm a dog, so I'm very loyal, as mum always says. Um, my favourite animal, so. I'm a golden pig. I don't know what Golden that... pig? Uh, yeah, because there's does like that different. Because it's different. Are they elements? Mm. I don't know what they are, but yeah, it's pig and golden. Oh, like wood, wood dog or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. Because, like, every. Is it every 12 years? Every 12 years. There's a like, new, like, the Zodiac resets. Yeah. But then each, like, pig, for example, of each 12 years is a slightly different, different. Oh, cool. I mean, that's awesome. You're golden. I don't and the pig. I don't know what more you want. I mean, like, I thought if golden means a lot of money, I'd be, like, just swimming in cash flow. But at the moment... But you're a PhD student, yeah. so... Your time will come. Mm. Mm. What are you? Um, I'm Year of the Ox. Wow. Oh, that's your year. Yeah, this is my oh year. Oh my gosh, you're such a baby. Oh. So apparently when it's like your year, yeah. you've got to wear red underwear. Yeah. Wait, and what? Yeah. Yeah, this is the thing. And you also like, underwear. you have to like be very careful because it's the year that you have bad luck. <gasps> Didn't yeah. know that. So Wait. yeah, the red undies is a good start to the year. Yeah. And you just got to be really careful. Wait, so it's your year. It could be a shit year. Yeah, I guess so. Pretty much. Yeah, that's what mum always says. She's oh like, God. be careful, it's your year. Mm. I guess, like, maybe the red underwear, like, offsets Yeah, that. I think that's what it's meant to so, do. So, like, you've yeah. got to do extra extra things to, like, mm. make sure you're lucky. Yeah. Um, it's coming up to the Lunar New Year, which, pretty much for you guys that don't know, it's the beginning of the new calendar year, where every month is the cycle of the moon. So it's different to our like typical Western like what, calendar. calendar. Is it called? I don't know the name. I believe so. But yeah, anyway, like I think the lunar calendar is pretty cool because it actually means something. It's not just an arbitrary number per se. Like what does January 1 really mean every year? Do you know what I mean? Like it's just kind of very, we've just decided. Whereas the lunar calendar I think is quite interesting because it's actually following the moon cycles and moon phases. Um, so yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah. So to coincide with Chinese New Year, today we thought we'd talk about Chinese slash Asian health myths as told by your mum, as debunked or verified by us today at Pair Review Club. Ooh. Yeah. So I think we've each prepared something today. So I might start off with a Chinese slash Asian health myth that I was told might not even be a Chinese slash Asian health myth, which is very on brand for me, who is a very poor Chinese slash Asian son. There's always one. Yeah. So I was told, and this was just the other day, because I sigh a lot, that if you sigh too much, you breathe in air, and then it messes with your digestive tract. Have you guys ever heard of that before? I actually can't say I've heard of that one. Like, I've heard some whack stuff from mum, but... That is not one I've heard of, so I'm very keen to learn a bit more about it. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, so I thought I might start with what is a sigh? Because I thought maybe I didn't even know what a sigh really was and how it might actually mess with my digestive tract. But a sigh is a long, deep breath. 
Let's can just... you demonstrate for us yeah. as a, you know, regular sire? Okay, I'm going to see that get a Oh, wow, okay. you put a bit of oomph to it. Like, you, like, have that much sound to it as well, normally. Yeah, you've got, you got to let it reverberate a bit just so you can let other people know around you that you're really sick and tired of their shit. Mm. Mm. I always just thought, like, sighing is just releasing all the negative juju in your body rather than messing with your digestive tract up. But interesting. Yeah, mm. well, we'll get into that. So a sigh is not always emotionally related and is something that is pre-built into us, which suggests a defense mechanism, apparently, and it can also occur spontaneously. And it's actually controlled in a section of the brain known as the pre-Botzinger complex. Mm. Now, I probably botched that pronunciation. Well, you botched it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Go on! (laughs) So if you look at phrenic nerve activity, which is the nerve that controls your diaphragm. You can see a size characterized by a large inspiratory burst, which is much larger than a regular breath, followed by an apnea. And an apnea is a cessation of breathing. So you have a large breathe in and then a post sigh apnea, as they say. So it's thought that excessive sigh could maybe lead to erophagia or erophagia, which is maybe what my mum is thinking of, which is the excessive swallowing of air. And causes include eating too quickly, exercising too vigorously, chewing gum, and breathing too heavily, which could be sighing. Gosh. Just doing anything. Anything. You just increase your risk of aerophagia, Mm. which can present as abdominal distension, bloating, belching, constipation, and flatulence. Mm. So it's... All the good things. Yeah. So I think my mum probably just thinks I'm just farting too much around the house Mm. or something. So she just needs to cut it off (laughs) by stopping the sighing. So a study by uh, Gerrit Hemink that included a study of 10 patients found that only three patients experienced belching and one patient flatulence when they were diagnosed with aerophagia. So flatulence might not actually be a key symptom there. So take that mum. Uh, so, Impatience, big cohort. Though. Big, big cohort, mm. yeah. So, the evidence likely suggests that if you sigh too much, it might cause some uh, gastrointestinal issues. So, in this case, Asian parent health fact slash not parent health fact confirmed. Wow. <laughs> but, there you go. big but, psychologically, sighing is probably a good thing. Because, mm. as we mentioned before, it gets out all the bad juju. And this is particularly good for arithmetic. And music performance, and we know how much Asian moms love math, piano, and violins. Yeah, I mean, gosh, all those years of piano lessons. <laughs> yeah, lots of sighing involved. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't pick up piano until I was like eight years old. Is that late, early? No, I think I picked mine up when I was about six-ish. Yeah, I, I think like up. in like Tiger Parent timing, eight is probably a bit late. Yeah, that's what I, I thought. I think they start them early at, at like, three. three. Yeah. Like, that's they crazy. don't even know how to speak yet, and they're just, like, playing <laughs> piano. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I was, like, way too much of the Transformers to ever know what a piano is, like, how to use it <laughs> as a kid. Because my mom let me play the guitar for, like, a year. And then she looked wow. at the other Asian parents and yeah. was like, oh, shit. I'm not doing a good job of this kid. And so then threw me onto the piano at eight, which I guess is why I was so late. Oh my gosh, there's so much like conflict in her mind. Like, you mm. know, she's like, not trad, like, do the guitar. <laughs> and she's like, oh no, the other Asian kid. But I have to be trad. Yeah, you have to be trad. Mm. Okay, I learned Suzuki method, 
Which it wasn't trad, I think, because most kids would do A M E B and yeah, I've heard Suzuki. of Suzuki. I've only done MEB. Oh my god. So Suzuki is less about the exams and more about enjoying yourself. Enjoying the piano. No, like, I did not get that. No. <laughs> a, a big part of the Suzuki method was learning your pieces off by heart. So you just play and then like you get to like be the music, I yeah. think is their goal. I probably would have liked the piano if that if that was the case. Yeah. yeah. But alas. Yeah. So maybe thanks, Mom, mm. but I haven't touched a piano since I was twelve. So. <laughs> Um, so where were we? So psychologically, the psi can act something like a psychological reset. Mm-hmm. And it can have effects on what we know as breathing variability, uh, which I think is the way we describe what normal breathing can be. So normal breathing has correlated variability. So these variabilities are parameters, of which there are many, that are correlated subsequently with breaths, normal breathing. So as you guys would probably expect, stress and increased concentration may affect your breathing. Uh, briefly, a study by Elk Vleminks, links in the description, <laughs> found that sustained attention and mental arithmetic were characterized by decreased correlated and total breathing variability, respectively. So when subjects were doing mental arithmetic, they were allowed to spontaneously sigh or were instructed to sigh. And in both cases, this restored normal breathing. So sighing, good for the math. So keep that in mind, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but the study I want to focus on is one by one Emily Guillon mm. from Frontiers in Psychology. This sounds legit. Yeah, yeah. This, one, this one actually sounds good because it actually comes from a journal I've heard of. <laughs> so uh, have you guys ever experienced music performance anxiety or MPA? No, I honestly just don't think I cared enough about the piano. No, I think every time, every time I did an exam, I was like on the edge of tears and mm. like shaking. Oh, no. So I think that was me. I think I was MPA. <laughs> yeah, I got that a bit when I was like on the stage as well. And then my mum would be like, why are you so nervous? And I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah, because that helped mum. <laughs> <laughs> so this study set out to assess how music performance anxiety influenced respiratory response in performance situations. So what they did was they found 65 university music students and outfitted them with what they call a life shirt. Uh, life so shirt. A life shirt. A shirt. I want one of these. <laughs> it attracts your life. There's a picture we're looking at at the moment. And the life shirt is a vest. And in it, there's all these sensors that measure things like your heart rate. So they can give you an ECG readout. They measure your respiratory and your posture. And it's all connected to this like Nokia brick in their hand, which can give uh, all the metrics there. Admittedly, this photo is from the 70s. I don't think it's changed since then. Oh, they still have this live shirt? <laughs> they still have live shirt. Oh, wow. Live okay. shirt. Uh, Viva Metrics is the company that manufactures yeah. live shirt. They've still got a website, so I assume they're still making many live shirts to save and monitor many lives. Cool, cool, cool. So they describe it as a multifunction ambulatory device. For this purpose, I guess it's good for this study because it can measure their respiratory activity. But what's particularly funny is when I was online and Googling live shirt, I could not find an image of anybody not wearing anything else but the live shirt. Oh. So they're always going shirtless and wearing a live shirt. So there's like this mental image in my head where I can see 65 musicians just dressed up like Wesley Snipes from Blade. And they're just all walking around doing life as normal. Just, yeah, just performing, just playing shirtless. So 
they measured a number of these parameters in practice and public performance, mm-hmm. and they included the number of size in their measurements. Mm-hmm. Interesting. They did see that those with high music performance anxiety would sigh more, have heavier breathing, and slower breathing as well. And more sighing suggested relatively good response system coherence between effective experience and respiratory responses. What does that mean? I think it means that the sighing <laughs> was actually good for their breathing. But we also know that the sigh resets uh, your psychological patterns mm-hmm. and it makes you perform better and become yeah. more comfortable. Uh, and so that's a pattern that is an opposition of panic disorders. So I leave you with this, which is an Asian parents. Would you rather that I have less abdominal distension mm-hmm. at the expense of our grades? Or would you rather me be constipated with an A+. Probably constipate with an A+, plus, yeah, let's be so. honest. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to call up their parents and, and just check with yeah. them. But I think it's always the grades. Mm, yeah. yeah. Also, like, you being constipated doesn't affect them. No. Just, just a, you. Just a water bill. Mm. <laughs> it's true. Uh, that was great. That was really interesting. Like, I hadn't heard anything about this sigh. But that was cool. Yeah. It yeah. made me think of, I don't know if you guys have heard this one, when you're drinking something out of a straw to not just like once you finish the drink don't keep sipping air in because like you fill up your belly with air oh yeah that mum also says um, that and then like you get an upset stomach mum says that even when I'm just doing exercise she's like don't go out when it's cold like you'll breathe in too much air (laughs) like too much wind sorry too much wind is what I mean and I was like I don't know what else you think I'm going to be doing when I'm outside. <laughs> I'm going to be breathing. Your poor lungs getting too much oxygen. Too much wind. Yeah, gosh. But um, anyway, with my mum, I have had a few funny myths and tips. So I don't know if you guys are the same, but mum and dad always tell me never to drink cold water. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like this is a pretty common one. I've never been told that. I drink water straight out of the bottle from a fridge. <gasps> from oh the fridge! Oh my god, literally I get killed what? in my house. No, that's... We don't even have bottles of water in the fridge. No. So we we have Choya, Choya bottles, like those big like two litre ones. And yeah. once we finish drinking the Choya, we just fill it up with water and put it in the fridge. And then we pour ourselves a nice cool glass of refrigerated water. Do your parents do that as well? Yeah, yeah, they're oh. the one that they encourage that. They because they love choya and they love yeah. recycling choya bottles. See, that's crazy. Like, Dad's like, we have the best water, like tap water in Melbourne, probably hands down in the world. Like, True. I'm pretty sure it's, it's crazy. Pretty good. up there. Dad's like, you can't drink it straight out of the tap because there's too many minerals in it. I was like, okay, like, are you serious? So he'll make me boil the water. Yeah. And he'll let me cool it down so it's lukewarm, and then I have to drink lukewarm water. Because, essentially, if I drink cold water, especially when I'm on my period, or just in general, I won't have babies. Quote, unquote. That is what, what? my mother told me. Yeah. That's a big statement. It's pretty, pretty big. And she has said it. So, apparently, yeah, having too many cold drinks will damage your uterus in the long term and, yeah, affect your fertility. So I had a look at this to see whether this is even a thing on Dr. Google. And there is some info related to it. So the author of a book called The Treatment of Infertility with Chinese medicine Jane Littleton tells us that... Can I just say, makes me sus when there's like Chinese medicine things and it's like a white name. Yes, I agree. Like how much can we can we trust this? Can I go on a tangent real quick? Go on a tangent. Just, Let's okay, go. Okay, so white people... 
this has happened to me a lot. When I used to work at Doncaster Shopping Town or Westfield, I was also approached by a white person who tried to ask me a lot of things about Chinese medicine, assuming that I knew lots of things about Chinese medicine because I looked Chinese. Please don't assume that I know lots of things about Chinese medicine. I'm probably just going to tell you to put some tiger balm on it and just send you on your way. But tiger balm does work, so... Actually, no, it does, yeah. Yeah. That's the secret. Good for the joints. Mm. I think she kind of refers to, like, traditional Chinese medicine, kind of things that have been passed down, which I think is how her mum gets all her information anyway. So Jane Littleton, author of Treatment of Infertility with Chinese Medicine, tells us a bit about how in Chinese medicine, the warmth of the uterus refers to its metabolic activity, actively manufacturing the secreting nutrients and maintaining a highly nurturing home for a fetus. So therefore, if any kind of coldness invades the uterus, it causes it, uh, the blood to stagnate, resulting um, in like dodgy periods, minimal follicular stimulation, and also a very thin endometrial lining. So yeah, all in all, things that lead to fertility issues. Well, when I think about it, like, you know, when we want to incubate, say, chicken eggs, for instance, Mm. to hatch, they need to be heated up. So I would assume doing the opposite, obviously, would go in the opposite direction. So it sounds okay. Maybe she has a point. Like, if you're a baby in my womb, (laughs) (laughs) I guess you probably want a warm environment. You wouldn't want me just slapping down a few slushies or what are they, like, get a brain freeze from a Slurpee, to be honest. Imagine being birthed with a brain freeze. Just... A cursed existence. Or like being in a cold, cold tummy. I just can't imagine that is. Yeah. No, that doesn't sound pleasant. No, so maybe mum has a point. But anyway, there was another report um, (laughs) on Taiwan News back in 2018 talking about how a uh, traditional Chinese medicine doctor claims to have helped her patients with fertility issues by having them to stop drinking cold beverages. So apparently, yeah, the cooling of the uterus is not only a negative effect for women, but also men who drink cold drinks can also affect their sperm quality. Right. Yeah, so this 35-year-old male, he was a firefighter, so a very high-stress job, came in to see her and said that they were failing to conceive after one year of trying. Um, And when she kind of, like, asked about her habits, he was like, oh, I drink two cups of iced coffee a day. And she was obviously quite shocked. And the wife was also found to have a very cold body constitution or literally what my mum says when I have too much cold food or drinks they'll have too much like Han Han He or like Han Leung in Cantonese so this Chinese doctor goes on to say that it's important to balance the yin and the yang within the body meaning that we should avoid cold beverages in food that are yin in nature and try to consume more yang or warm food and drinks so the couple had a baby three months later after they stopped drinking cold drinks, which is... What a miracle. Yeah, I mean, mum would froth on this article, let's be honest. Yeah, and you I probably should shouldn't tell her. her or tell her this. Yeah, if I tell my mum she's going to take all the cold water out of the fridge yep. and I'm yeah. going to go thirsty. Buy choya bottles <laughs> in choyas. the fridge. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's my mum for you guys, so... I've got a Chinese noob question for you. Mm. Uh, what is yin and what is yang? Like, I know they're opposites, but what do they entail? I just looked at Vicky with a really puzzled face. I was like, hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, tr- it's, for me, one of those things, like, I'll ask my mum, like, what is, like, this word? Mm. And she's like, oh, I can't find the word. Like, it's there's no English word for it. Um, I actually didn't know yin and yang were, like, hot or cold. I just thought they were, like, opposite 
So you have to, like, whatever it is, balance it out the mm. other way. Mm. Honestly, like, that's all I really know. I just know it's that symbol. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you know anything about yin and yang, write into us at Pair of You Club on Twitter. Plug! <laughs> so, Bonnie, do you have a Asian parent health myth for us? I do. So this is one that I've literally been told since I was, like, I don't know, seven? Mm. Um, when I started, like, I guess, washing my own hair... Um, but mum always tells me, never, ever, ever, no matter what you do, don't go to bed with wet hair. So I've always got to like blow dry my hair before I go to sleep. And so this is something that I just thought was normal, like growing up, like, I'd always do it, wouldn't really question it. But recently I've been questioning like, why? I want to know like the logic behind <laughs> it. So I actually gave mum a call today and said like Jenny yeah Jenny can you just explain these things to me I'm actually doing a podcast with my friends and I really want to try understand like the logic behind um these like phenomena anyway so she goes and tells me that firstly she's like this is why quote Aussie people get a lot of headaches because they often um go to bed with wet hair just Aussie people in general blanket statement yeah yeah I was like oh mum oh no do you guys Um, get migraines I, I don't actually. But are we, does she, like, what, what does she classify us? Like, why? Like, we're, we would be Asian, okay. but she's saying, like, for white people, okay. they would get a lot of headaches. Um, and that we as Asians tend to not get as much headaches because we don't go to sleep with wet hair. Um, huh. But then asking her, I said, I said, like, why? What is it about, like, the wetness in your hair that causes the headache? What's the mechanism? Mm. So she says... Pretty confidently. Um, <laughs> that's like, when that's you why we sleep, believe them. I know. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's like the conviction. You mm. can say anything with conviction, people believe you. Um, but she says, when you sleep, your hair follicles actually open oh, yeah. um, and the wetness, or as in the horn hay, mm-hmm. gets into your body through the follicles. Like, that's really visual for me. Like, like kind of going out. into those pores in your yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah. Like, and the coldness that it would kind of like cold- flow through because your hair's wet. Yes. Like the coldness goes in and then gets trapped up by your follicles. When they close up. When they close yeah, up. That's a um, weird image. It's really <laughs> creepy. And she says in the future, this wetness builds up and causes a headache. So I'm like, but but like how? Mm. Like how does the build up of the wetness cause I mean cause the mechanism the of action seems legit. I mean, but but it's not specific. I just I just needed more, mm. so I just kept digging, and then I said like, you know, what is it about the horn hay that causes a headache? And then this is where it gets a bit fuzzy because she said it blocks like something. I think like it causes stagnation, which blocks circulation. Honestly, there's a lot of like, there's no this word in English. I'm like, oh, it convenient, <laughs> like convenient. You just can't explain it to me, but it's true. So I was like, okay, thanks for the explanation, but I'm going to go do my own fact-checking. And so I actually did find some articles online, one specific article that was actually published Mm -hmm. um, in the textbook called Medical Hypothesis. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Maybe we should publish there. Yeah. Got lots of hypotheses. But what they've done is they've taken this observation that wet hair in cold weather predisposes sinus headache and posterior eye pain so they've seen a correlation between wet hair in the cold weather and these people getting a headache which is kind of what mum's trying to say Mm -hmm. um so sorry this is a hype 
hypothesis. This is a hypothesis. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, but they do go to prove it. And, I, and you guys can be the judge of how convincing it is. So they offer a mechanism of action, which is called selective brain cooling system. And pretty much this is a mechanism to protect the brain from hypothermia. So what really happens is the coldness and the dampness in the in the hair and in the skin leads to like the constriction of blood vessels. And then this apparently tells the brain to undergo brain cooling activity. And this is where we get into the nitty gritty. They say, cool venous blood from the head, skin and mucous membranes of nose and paranasal sinuses drain to the intracranial dural sinuses to cool the brain. And in order to reduce the brain cooling activity, alterations occur in the paranasal sinuses. The sinus ostium's close and mucus may accumulate to reduce air within sinuses, which is what causes this like sinus headache. That sounds wild. <laughs> Do you think that just sounds like they just put a whole bunch of like confusing words, like really dense to make mm. you like believe you that you can't understand it, but it's true. I don't know. It sounds if... like a lot of the myths mum and dad yeah. give us. I can't even understand that. Well, like... yeah, like yeah, I guess like Vicky says, maybe uh, clinicians in this case, and Asian mums and Asian dads, yeah, not very good science communicators. Mm. Not good science communication. Yeah. Mum and dad have some lay language that they need to learn. Yes, mm. exactly. Um, they, so they go on to conclude that this mechanism explains why a person exposed to hypothermia with wet hair. Or a person who, quote, does not use a beret or a hat <laughs> during the cold weather gets a sinus headache and posterior eye pain. A beret. A, yeah. Is this, where is this article from France? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not going to oppose that. I bloody love berets. So maybe I'll just start wearing mine more often. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the <laughs> lesson learnt is like, don't sleep with wet hair. Um, and wear a beret. Yeah, that's going to be my grandma's Chinese New Year present, I think. It's definitely Just a vibe. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm happy with the takeaway of this this yeah. message. <laughs> I quite like it. <laughs> oh, interesting. Do we want to do the knee one? Yeah, why not? Okay, it's a bit of a shorter one. Yep. So, you got the sound. Do you want to explain? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, just asked my mum for, like, a whole list. Actually, I was thinking, like, what myths has my mum told me that mm. I really want to understand? And mm. one of them is that... In winter, mum always says, like, don't wear shorts or don't wear, like, a skirt Mm. um, because your knees will get cold. And I'm like, you know, what's wrong with cold knees? And she's like, it's going to give you arthritis when you're older. Yeah, I've definitely had that one before. Right? Like, literally massive. Like, you're going to get arthritis. That Mm. sounds friggin' scary just because of shorts. But, I mean, of course, like, look. I assume a lot of people get arthritis when they're older. Yes. And so it kind of just is just <laughs> what the line. Well, I was speaking correlates to correlates. I was yes. speaking to one of the postdocs in my lab just before, and I asked about the knee thing, and she's like, "It's true because there's no fat in your knee joints and only ligaments." And I've got no idea if that's anatomically correct or what? not. What? It is ligaments. It is. There are ligaments, but surely there's fat. There's like bursa. Is that a thing? The the bursa. I don't know. Uh, it's like meniscus, <laughs> ligament, PCL, MCL, ACL, the CLs, all the CLs. But this is probably a case of like, you know, correlation is not causation, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. Like, 
Like, mom, you can't just extrapolate that and look at old people and say they have arthritis because they wore shorts. You didn't know them when they were young. Yeah. Um, but they probably did wear shorts. They, they probably did. Yeah. Um, but, Jack, did you find any sort of, like, substance behind this myth? Well, I tried. Okay. <laughs> Keyword tried. But I went online and I searched, uh, why is wearing shorts in winter causing your knees to be bad? <laughs> And then Google. That was your direct Google. Then, so it, then it corrected because right. I I really was just trying to ask Google a question and I'm not good at asking questions. Right. So I did some reading. I went to a lot of forum posts and they said there is no scientific correlation. But that wasn't good enough for me because I need science to tell me there is no correlation. So I went onto PubMed and I searched, "Hey PubMed, why do bad shorts winter give bad knees?" And then it corrected me again. And it took me to a journal called. The knee, which has an impact factor of 1.913. So people are publishing in this, and wow. because it has an impact factor greater than zero, it means people are also citing this journal That's as well. Including us right now, right? True. Including us. <laughs> wow. So some patients. The head. <laughs> some patients with bare knees experience what we call anterior knee pain, or mm. AKP for short. And this also includes sometimes abnormal reactions to environmental cold. So you, if you have bad knees, your knees might feel the cold. So maybe, you know, this Asian parent myth, it's beginning to pick up some traction. So in this study by James Seliff, they aim to investigate whether palpation of the knee could classify those with or without cold knees. Okay. And this was verified with thermal imaging and whether cold versus not cold knees uh, varied in response to a cold stress test. What's a cold knee? So, like, as in, like the temperature of the knee surface. So, from my understanding, what they did is they walked up to the patient. They said, "Hi, my name is medical student so and so. I'm here to uh, see if your knee is cold or not." And then the, the patient says, "Okay." And then they touch their knee and they take their finger off and they decide whether or not it's cold wow. or not cold. And then. Yeah, that's it. Then they then they ask them, "Are they are you experiencing any pain?" And correlate that to the the temperature, the okay. palpated temperature. Just the by knee. the feel. Just by the feel. Have you guys seen that meme? It's like come out of Shanghai, I think. Like it's like Shanghai temperature testing, mm. and it's this like auntie, like this Chinese auntie, and she's just not holding like a te- like a temperature check. She's just using her hand, <laughs> and as people walk through the door, she just puts her hand on their forehead yeah. and then she sections people off and she's like, you can go in. And then, and then she puts people to the side if their wow. temp is too hot. Definitely COVID safe. R- right, T- yeah. Touching everyone's forehead that's probably been sweating if they've had a fever. Yeah. Like, but you do you. <laughs> like, she's like so it. confident as mm. well. And my mum and dad have, like, definitely done that to me when I was younger. Like, if I'm like, I've got a fever, like, I think I'm yeah. sick. And they'll, like, put their hand on the head and they're like, yeah. Definitely. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I do that to myself sometimes. Yeah, I, 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 do, I, I do that a bit, yeah. I'm like, this is definitely working. And I'm like, my hand's also warm, so what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we digress. So uh, James tested 58 patients, and they found that women with cold knees had a slightly smaller patella skin fold, so that's the skin fold over their knees, lower levels of activity, and worse migraine function impact questionnaire scores, or MFIQ scores. They also found that women with cold knees were more likely to report cold weather affected their knees, and they preferred a hot water bottle compared to an ice pack on their knee. So they would like their knees to be warm, not cold. Thank you very much. Mm. There was also a trend towards wearing extra tights or long johns 
Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> that was a direct quote from the paper. Just haven't heard that in ages. Oh, so does wearing shorts in the winter give you bare knees? Literally no scientific evidence to support that. But if your mum is saying that, maybe she needs to be diagnosed for anterior knee pain. Gosh. Yeah, I reckon mum definitely has AKP. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She would so, definitely prefer a hot water bottle over an ice pack. Like, <laughs> on her knee. Ice pack is like the devil. Oh, when I put an ice pack on my leg after footy mum dad, I was like, why are you doing that? Like, put your trackies back on. Like, oh, gosh. Literally, like, after sport, Dad's like, make sure you put some trackies on because your paws are still open and you don't want to let any of the, like, hon hay in. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe Dad has a point. Like, you do want to warm down, you do want to warm up. So yes. sometimes I think, like, these myths do have some sense behind it. Well, just in this study, like, it, they didn't really specify when or after what activity the patient might want a cold mm. ice pack or a hot water bottle. So if you're asking them, hey, do you have cold knees? And they're like, yeah, I hate having cold knees. They're not going to say yes to having an ice pack right. on their knees. Right, it'd just be colder. Yeah. yeah. So that was our content today mm. for our Chinese New Year episode. Sorry, Lunar New Year episode. I think we need to be inclusive. Inclusive, yep. yeah. I agree. I, don't, I, I think we can't just claim the entire holiday. For yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, please find us on our socials. So we're on Instagram at... The Pair Review Club. Awesome. And we're also at Pair Review Club on Twitter. And so we'd love to hear any of your suggestions. If you have any questions about being Chinese, you can ask Vicky and Bonnie. <laughs> if you want to ask how it is to be a poor Chinese kid, I've got plenty of stories to tell you, but nothing good hey, to you're say. You're a good ABC. Oh, thank yes. you. But literally, the other day... My grandpa went into our kitchen, went to our fruit bowl, picked up a banana, started peeling it, took a big bite, then pointed at the banana, pointed at me, and said, Jack, you're like this. That's a savage dude by grandpa. (laughs) That is, yeah, brutal by grandpa. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening. For all of us out there, whether or not you are of Asian heritage or not, please enjoy a great Lunar slash Chinese New Year, and we hope to catch you on our next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Gong hei fat chai. Gong hei fat toy. I thought it was gong si fat chai. That's Mando, my friend. Oh. We ain't Mando here. Okay, have a lolly before we start. Okay, okay. He just did my arm. Really wasn't hard. Got a rubber arm. I definitely had the most. The white stuff is so good.